we are in a series entitled Stretch um, because as a church, we're fasting for 21 days. Uh, we started on January the 8th. That makes today day 8. You probably think it's day 7, but you got to count January the 8th. It's day 8, right? So we're day 8 right now. Um, what's interesting is, is that we, we have a group uh, that calls in at 5.30 a.m. conference call. Uh, and so when I see the report, I see 22 phone numbers, but you also have to include the couples. So this means about 22, give or take another six, seven, or eight people. We have at least 30 people, 5.30 a.m., waking up, putting, putting God first, putting Jesus first, and it's making a, there we go, word church, that claps. It's making a big difference in our lives. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, I'm going to be teaching about fasting this week, next week. And uh, week four is going to be pretty cool. We're going to take communion, and we're going to have a prayer service. So we want to pray over you um, when you're done with your 21 days of fasting, just to consummate everything. We want to come into agreement with you by faith um, that 2017 is going to be your best year yet. No matter what you're facing right now, God is going to turn that thing around, and he's going to give you the victory. Um, so, yeah, today we won't really teach as much about fasting, but we are going to read a scripture, and I just have some things that God has laid on my heart, and I just think today is going to be powerful. Um, we talked pretty clear last Sunday, so if you want to check out our podcast, the title of that message was Wine and Dine. It was pretty, it was I. I mean, it was, it was I. but it clarifies a lot. Stay straight. All right, cool. So, Today's message is entitled, Stretch For It. Stretch for it. Stretch for it. Go ahead and pull out your pens and uh, notepads and all that good stuff. Our main text is Luke 4, verses 1 through 14. Luke 4, verses 1 through 14. Um, I'm using the New Living Translation, NLT. Luke is the good news of Jesus according to the physician Luke. Um, so we're going to start reading verse 1. It says here, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. It's interesting how he was led to a wilderness, to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. We're going to address that here in a second. Then the devil said to him, the devil does exist. Um, he, he is real. Um, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. It's an old scheme. We're going to talk about that. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. I'm not liking this translation right now. And it's my fault because the original translation says that people don't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's very essential sometimes that we pull away from bread, physical food, and that we just begin to digest and ingest the word of God for our lives. Just one strong point as far as fasting is concerned. You know, maybe you were raised in a context where you were forced to fast, or you just didn't fully understand fasting. And I think religion has the ability to take away the power of something so sacred. Yeah. Um, something that was sanctified by God to actually bring power into your life. 
But that's what religion does. Religion turns what's real, what's relative, and what's, what's abundant, and it turns it into something routine. But Jesus actually said that fasting is an expectation. If you're a believer in me and if you follow me, I expect you to seek me through prayer and fasting. Because I can only release certain things into your life if you fast. Prayer won't always get it. Going to church won't always get it. Small group worship won't always get it. Playing in your living room won't always get it. But if you fast, we can get some things done. We can get some things done. So we're going to go back to this. So the devil's using an old scheme. Scheme. I can't wait to show you what he's using. Um, um, yeah, yeah, Jesus is going to help us through it, though. Verse 5 says this. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of all these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it to all. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus said, man, you got me messed up. The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And if you are the son of, I'm sorry, and also the devil then took him to Jerusalem, the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. If you are the son of God, jump off. We're going to identify something here about your identity in Christ. And how it relates to you giving up. We're going we're gonna to connect that here in a, in a few minutes. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Satan knows scripture too. Satan is a fallen angel created before human beings. Satan will use scripture to tear down societies. It's another thing religion does. Religion will use something sacred, a sacred text, to divide and conquer and tear down societies. But then Jesus corrects him. He says, the scriptures also say, because I am the word. You're speaking to the word. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You may feel light right now, but it's going to come back. Satan doesn't give up because he's already judged. The Bible declares that Satan is already judged. He's actually going to be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, and he's going to stay there forever and ever and ever. So just put yourself, this isn't even in my notes, but just put yourself in Satan's shoes. Come on now. You're already judged. You know where you're going. It's time to wreak havoc upon the earth. Here's a drink. Here's this. Here's that. Here's this. Here's a broken home. Here's this. Here's this. Here's this. Because I don't want to go to hell alone. We're going to do a series in October called The Real World. Everything is spiritual. And the Bible says that a third of the angels fell from heaven, and they're currently assigned to our lives to disrupt, to destroy. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's their agenda. And so how do we war? We war in community. We war in prayer. We war through fasting. We war through his word. We got to stick together. We got to fast and pray together. We got to serve together. We got to lean in together. 
verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. All right. Stretch for it. We ready to go to work? Awesome. All right. Stretch for it. Indicators that you have great things to look forward to in your future. Like, I think we all have uh, this desire to be better, to grow more, to become smarter, to be more effective and more more influential in our lives. I think we all want to be successful. So these are just some indicators, they say, um, that you have great things to look forward to in your future. Um, One is that you're never satisfied with good enough. You're never satisfied with good enough. Okay, that's, that's a good indication for your future. The other one is that you're not afraid to take risk. Not afraid to take risk, to get out there and try to walk on the water. I love this one. It says, you love what you do and you do it for free. So this is passion outside of what you do to bring in income. Now, if you're blessed enough and if you're lucky enough, maybe your career or your job is what brings uh, is what you're passionate about, and it is uh, it allows you to make a living. Um, and so a lot of people that love what they do, they usually start out doing it for free. And if they're fortunate enough, if they're good at it enough, if they have an entrepreneurial spirit, um, eventually what they love to do becomes their source of living. It's no longer just a hobby. Um, and I actually thank God uh, for my wife and, and the sacrifice that she's making for our family and the obedience unto God. Um, because I don't know what I would do if I had to do anything else besides preach and lead people. This is my passion. This is what I love to do. And no one's on staff at this church yet. I'm doing it in a sense for free. God rewards us in different ways than just money. Yeah. But that, that, these types of people change culture. They shift things. So I actually want to encourage you, if you feel stuck in your eight to five, but you actually love doing something and it's going to change someone's life, actually think about it, pray about it. I'm not saying quit your job, but you may find more fulfillment in actually pursuing your passion and what God has hardwired you for than just bringing home the bacon, right? So God wants you to live a fulfilled life. And I know we all yearn for greatness. Um, You dream big which means you see beyond the present day. You see beyond Friday, and when you get a chance to just kind of relax, and then Sunday night comes and you start to hate life again because Monday is arriving. Like, no, you dream big. You don't allow the weeks to to weigh you down because you know that there's something great in your future. No matter what you're currently facing either, you know that there's still something great waiting for you. You seek new knowledge. If you're a seeker of new knowledge... If you, if you listen to leadership podcasts or, or, or you go on uh, uh, YouTube and you want to know how surgeons remove cancer or how, how technology is blah, 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 and, you know, philosophy and all this stuff, th- this is also an indication that you have a big future ahead of you, yeah. no matter how old you are either. Yeah. I love this when it says that you get out of your way to help people and change lives. Jesus is the epitome of all these things. He was the epitome of someone who was born into the world, 
with a huge calling on his life. And he identified it at the age of 12. In Luke chapter 2, uh, they went to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Mary and Joseph and their entire crew is going back home from Jerusalem. Jesus stays in the temple in his father's house for days, staying with the professors of the law. And he's a prodigy. He's quite impressive. He's 12 years old. His answers are riveting. His questions are next level. This is like my eight-year-old son having a discussion with Albert Einstein, and he's sticking in there with him. This was Jesus Christ at the age of 12. And so Mary and Joseph, they're looking through their group. Oh, get out. Where's Joseph, we left the baby. (laughs) He's still a baby, right? He's 12. He's almost a teenager. So they get back to Jerusalem and they get to the temple and they say, um, Mary is mad. Like, why did you do this to us? We were so worried about you. Where were you? Even Jesus got in trouble with his parents. And Jesus says this. He says, didn't you know that I was big time? <laughs> didn't you know that I'm about my father's business? And it is so crazy because. No matter how young you are, you can be about the father's business or how old God wants to dip big dreams, big vision, big purpose into your heart. He was the epitome. He was born to shift culture, to change lives, to 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 uh, uh, transform paradigms. He was born to raise the dead and to heal the sick and to. And to, and to push people forward into their destiny, to meet people where they are, and to say, there is something greater on the inside of you than what you currently operate in. He was, he was born for this. But he had, to, he had to stretch for it. He had to stretch for it. And the same for you and I. There is something in us that yearns for something better. It has to be. It has to be something. You yearn for something greater. No matter the current context you're in. I got big dreams. This is just me being transparent. I have big dreams for this church. It's going to happen. Clap that up. Praise God. It's going to happen. And if you're sitting here, oh, this is just another inspirational speech by some Flashy, dashy preacher. No, man, you need to get this in your heart so you can have something to live for when you leave here today. I know there is something that you, that you yearn to do greater. And so it says here that um, maybe it's to start a business or a ministry. I would encourage you to get some mentors at your current workplace and ask them, how did you do this? How did you sell this high? I'm not, I'm not going to work for people all my life. I actually want to own something one day. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Uh, maybe, you know, you want to teach and lead. Maybe you want to get your Ph.D. We have a, a Ph.D., one or two in the building. That's an amazing thing. Maybe you want to raise kids that love God. Maybe your great calling is to raise great kids. That's a high calling. And you're on your way to do it, and then as we live life, we come to find out that life hits and it hits hard and then we have to hit back and life hits and it hits hard and we have to hit back and then you're married to the person you fell in love with and they hit and then you hit harder and they hit harder and 
you come to find out that you both aren't perfect, and it's just a war. Every, your kids are driving you nuts. Your, the, the job is driving you nuts. Life is hitting, and, and you got to hit back. Some of us began this 21-day fast. Some, those of us that are fasting, we began it thinking that we were going to walk on water. I remember when I first started fasting, right? See, that's true because you're laughing. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to fast. I'll be in the presence of God. And you, you done fell and almost drowned. And so, no, it's, it's not like that. It's not. You, you're fasting. You got bad breath. Um, no one will tell you. Um, you got headaches for days, and you're like, why did this pastor lead me to do this thing? Life still happens. When you're pressing in, when you're stretching for it, you get sick. You, you, you get some form of cancer or blood disease or some flu that you just can't shake. Life happens when you're stretching for greatness. And if you sense that there is something greater, a purpose or a calling, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to press in and stretch for it. I love the verse here, Luke 4, 1 through 2 says this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was going to need the Holy Spirit to fulfill his calling. And the first thing the Spirit of God does is lead him into a wilderness. Where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. The wilderness in scripture represents drought, dryness. There's nothing there. It's very cold in the evening, very hot during the day. There's no produce, no nothing. As a matter of fact, when the children of Israel got delivered from Egypt, um, the wilderness that the children of Israel had to go through was so barren that God had it to provide food from the sky. It was called manna. It was unleavened bread. And so they, they, they picked it up, and manna, manna means what is this? Well, God was trying to show them that even in a wilderness, I can still provide. Even in a wilderness, I can still provide. So Jesus has this huge calling. He's the son of God. He's going to exude love. He's going to exude strength and power and He's the reason, whether you believe in him or not, that we're sitting in this room right now because we are a church that follows Christ. But he's led into a wilderness right before he starts his ministry to do something great. What, what, what is God trying to say for, for those of you who are fasting, for those of you who believe for more? Um, God will use a wilderness to test your will to stretch, to, to press in, to obey, to trust him as you pursue your destiny. He will allow the context of your life in certain seasons not to be perfect. He will allow broken people to invade your space and break you. I thought God was a God of love. What are you church people talking about? He is a God of love. And we're going to discuss that here in a minute too. But he led Jesus, his son, into a wilderness. God often allows us to endure hard times before we can experience heroic triumphs. You're going to have to endure hard times before you experience heroic 
triumph. So I have a few things that I want to identify as you're stretching for greatness, as you're stretching for your purpose, as you're stretching for more kids, as you want to overcome and, and overcome and cross barriers that your parents didn't cross. Um, I have a few things to say as you set out to be great. Number one, you have to understand that you're going to be discouraged by past failure. You're going to be discouraged by past failure. This is a reference to Adam and Eve. They were born in a, a perfect context, or created in a perfect context, Genesis 2. Genesis 3, the devil possesses a serpent to tempt Adam and Eve. God has told Adam, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil comes in. He does a scheme. He says this thing. He pretty much says, hey, you won't surely die. He, t- he tells Eve. And the day thereof that you eat of the fruit of the tree, you won't surely die as the Lord has told you. As a matter of fact, when you eat of this tree, you will know as God knows. And we're going to talk about how a lot of times we're tempted to go after things simply because we're thinking that God is keeping some things from us when it's not his will for us to go after those things. He's not keeping anything for us from us. He's preparing us for that thing that he wants to give us. We're going to talk about that. But um, um, when you when you see the, the stone turn the stone into a loaf of bread, the enemy is using an old scheme that he used with Adam and Eve. It was eating that has got us into this problem in the first place. It was the sinful act of disobedience. Do not eat. Do do not eat. Do do not eat. And they ate. And so now we have the result of the failure. We have stress. We have brokenness. We have confusion. We're tired. We're strapped for our bills. It's the brokenness. What was Satan's agenda the entire time? It was not disobedience. It was not eating the fruit. Satan's entire agenda during this time was the result of the act of disobedience. It was the result of the failure. What was the result? Adam and Eve have two boys, Cain and Abel. Satan didn't care about them eating the fruit. The result was hate. The result wasn't intangible. It was jealousy. And then we record the first murder in all of human history. Cain kills Abel. You're going to be discouraged by past failure when you're stretching for greatness because the enemy wants you to remain in the result of a failure. Not your failure sometimes either, but a failure that could have been back generations before you even came on this earth. He wants your family. He wants your children to remain in the result. He wants you to be limited. He wants to stop you. He wants to shut you down. He wants you to remain in the result of your failure. So look, it it wasn't. It wasn't the breakup. Whatever major relational breakup you had. It's the bitterness and the anger that you now inoculate in your heart. It wasn't the rejection. It's the doubt and the loss of hope that you inoculate. It wasn't the absence of a a parent. It's the lack of perspective for you to actually reverse 
the situation in your life. If I didn't have a dad, I had a dad, and just use an example, I'm going to turn around and be a great dad. It's the lack of perspective that Satan wants you to be stuck in. It wasn't you storming out of your boss's office or sending the nasty email and, and the firing or, or you resigning from the job. It's your, le- it's your, your lack of self-control that has pervaded your life, and now you can't even have a conversation that's difficult in order to grow and to actually solve problems with people that you need to solve problems with. You're always going to storm out. You're always going to lack self-control. It's the result of the dysfunction that the enemy wants you to be stuck in. And so the Bible says this. It says, from Adam to Moses, man has died because of what Adam has done. So Jesus is coming on the scene in order to set us free from the power of death in every area of our lives. Is this making sense thus far? His agenda is for you to remain in the result. Walt Disney World, my God, they just, um, their, their annual revenue last year was $45 billion alone. Walt Disney, he amazes me, man, his story. There's an there's a awesome movie out there about his, his trials and his triumph. Number one, his first job, his boss said that you lack imagination. What? Mickey, What? Ebenezer Scrooge during Christmas? What? Abba humbuck. Dude, you got to watch Scrooge, man. That, that Christmas cartoon. Disney World? What? He was fired. His first business failed. The second one went bankrupt because he couldn't uh, pay his people. Then he was evicted from his home. He went homeless. Then when he tried to get his head back up the, for the first time, he was swindled by someone who was smarter than him in business. And finally, he got, he got a breakthrough. Why? 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 Because he didn't allow his life to remain in the result of failure. He identified the result. He identified the failure, and he used it as footing. He, he, got, his, he got his footing What did Jesus do in the wilderness when he was stretching, when he was called to stretch? He got his footing right. It's funny how Adam and Eve, they lost their footing in a perfect context. Sometimes a perfect context can cause you to lose your footing. When it's all good in life, it can cause you to lose your footing. So God will put you in a context where you have to stretch. And so Jesus said, well, it was sin and it was failure that got us into this place. I identify the failure and I understand the enemy's agenda in it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do the opposite of what Adam and Eve did. I'm going to find my footing. I'm going to look up. I'm going to face forward by faith. And I'm going to, here's it, win the future. I'm going to win the future. <laughs> They lost it. They gave up the keys. I'm going to take the keys back. Come on, clap that up. You got to get to a place where you want to take the keys back. And so I love this. By faith, he's going to win the future. James 2.17 says this. So you see faith, watch this though, by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. A lot of people think the first sin was an action. 
The first sin was an intangible. It was a lack of trust that produced the sinful act. Read Mark 7. Jesus says, you guys talk about how you shouldn't commit adultery. And he's talking to the Pharisees. You shouldn't do this and do that. He says, I tell you, you've already sinned. He, he always steps it up a notch. If you lust in your heart. You say not to kill the Ten Commandments. Don't, thou shall not kill. Now, that's what religion is. Now, Jesus said, I say that you've already sinned and murdered your brother in his heart if you have anger towards him. Faith by itself, some mystical new age crap that's out there is not good enough. Faith produces an action. And if you're going to win the future, you have to understand that that action is obedience. No matter what you're doing, you're a school teacher, you're a husband, you're a wife. The way you win the future is through obeying the spirit, the word and the guidance of God. No matter what wilderness you're in, obedience will always open the door to the future. But in the wilderness, you're going to be tempted to disobey because it's so hard right now. Ah, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. Present, mark this. Present obedience will always lead to future abundance. Present obedience will always lead to future abundance. Your situation will have to submit to your obedience for the Lord. And I reference you to Deuteronomy 28. You need to read the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28. It tells you about the blessings of abundance. And when did God give this to the children of Israel? Deuteronomy 28. He gave it to them when they were in the middle of a wilderness. As you're stretching forward, you have to understand that you're going to be distracted with or by, however you want to word it, pseudo-promises. Pseudo-promises. So the devil tells Jesus, worship me and I'll give you all these things. I mean, he's, he's pretty much right. So if you don't know, the Bible teaches us all right, that, the, that Satan is the God, the lowercase g, of this world. And even David in the Psalms, he says, man, why do the ungodly seem to flourish? God, following you is so hard. They look like they're having so much fun. Well, we got to ask ourselves, who are they serving? So we think think worship is, you know, this is an idol or an image. We think worship is... We trust you to bring us our money and make us fertile and bring forth kids. and We worship you. That's that's what what we've translated worship into, right? But that's not the biblical definition of worship. That is an expression of worship, okay? Now, um, we all worship someone or something. I want to inform you of that. But in order to identify what you worship, I first have to check out your ATM, your, your, your ATM. Um, where does most of our attention, time, and money go to? That, that, 
that will help me identify what it is you worship. It's your attention, your time, and your money. Now, what does this culminate into? This is what's called devotion. The biblical definition of worship is devotion. What or who are you mostly devoted to? Look, I know we can't be here every day and listen to me preach and pray and give of our offering. (laughs) Give of our offering every day. That's not what I'm saying because then it becomes a religion. But worship is a posture of the heart. What am I devoted to every moment of every minute of the day? Um, You know, I've come to identify that giving my son what he wants Um. You know, he, he gets upset about that. Um, when, when I don't get my son, give my son what he wants, um, it doesn't mean that I'm not his father or that I don't love him. Um, I'm still his dad. When we pray to God and things don't turn out the way that we thought, it doesn't mean that he's not still God. The Bible declares that only he is to be worshiped. Only he is to be praised. It's funny because uh, up until about a year ago, we began to find uh, candy wrappers um, early in the morning around 8 a.m. I got a few parents laughing about that. You totally understand. If you have babies under his pillow, under his bed, if you have babies, they're going to do this. They're not angels. Kids will reveal that sin is real. Um, And I'm like, dang, dude, like Snickers, Jolly Ranchers, and Nonlaters. I mean, he should have at least woke up and shared some. <laughs> One night, though, after he brushed his teeth, we just, you know, we end up going down to the kitchen and it's like a chocolate something and there's a cookie in a big chunk. It was just taken out of this cookie. Like, Did you bite this cookie? No. Did you? No. Ah. So we went to his room. We got him up. Open your mouth. And you just see that chocolate all over the place. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And then you end up getting punished. That's kind of what a pseudo promise is. The Lord, the Spirit of God leads Jesus, this world changer, this prodigy, this person that's set for maximum impact into the wilderness. The enemy comes in and attempts to distract him with a pseudo promise. Jesus identifies something that Jaziel doesn't because Jaziel has applied his ATM towards getting something for himself that doesn't align with the heart of his father. He gets it. He gets in a bind. And it blows up in his face like a grenade without a clip. It's a pseudo promise. It doesn't fulfill. Jesus identifies this. He says, I'm not going to be distracted because there's far more at stake. There's far more to be given. There's far more to be gained. Jesus understands that if getting it is outside of the Father's instruction and plan, then once I get it, it won't fulfill. Once you get it, it won't fulfill. Once we get it, it won't do what we thought 
once you get it, it's going to let you down. It, it, it always boil down, boils down to it and things and this and that. And so the devil offers him something, some, some relationship, some form of riches, some form of freedom. I don't have to take this. I don't, I'll just, if you just devote your time and your attention to sports and to music and to shopping and to vacations and to this and to that, and I'll just, I'll give it all to you. If you devote your life to making money, I'm going to give it all to you. If you devote your life to being the life of the party, I'm going to give it all to you because life is tough right now, isn't it? Work is hard. Home is tough, and if you would just do it, you will get it. You're going to get that thing if you would just give me your ATM. I'm pressing in for a reason. I'm not trying to be tough. Uh, we're still small. I want to grow as a church, but there's a reason I'm staying here. The Bible says that the word of God is like hammer against a stone. And it also says that our hearts become hardened. So sometimes, I'm not being you over, sometimes the Spirit of God has to hammer that heart in order so that you can be blessed and fulfilled truly. Because someone in here is thinking about that pseudo promise and you want to take that chance. But I want to say this, God wants you to obtain every promise. The devil is going to distract you in the wilderness. But God wants you to obtain every promise he has for you. I love how the Bible declares in Luke 4, 1 through 14, that the father is saying nothing to God. Sometimes you can be in a season where all there is is discouragement, negativity, the devil, yourself, just bringing you down. And you're like, God, say something. Speak to me. He is not. Because his promises are tried and true. Romans 8.28 says this. It says that, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So what thing are you actually trying to get outside of worshiping God? Chances are, it's already something he's prepared to give you. Jesus identifies this, that when you're in a wilderness and when it's tough, I don't have to compromise my worship. I'll still offer it to him because he's working all things. For the good. He's working the divorce for the good. He's working that sickness for the good. He's working that job for the good. He's working those kids for the good. Come on now. He's working it for the good. And Satan wants to take us out. I'm, I'm preaching from a place of experience too. And it's only by the grace of God that I'm standing here because he's just that good. But man, his promises are better. God is not withholding anything from me, but he is working together all things for me. 
God is not withholding anything from me, but he is working together all things for me. I have to stretch for it. You have to stretch for it. You got to fight. You got to press in. And then we identify here in this message that there are always going to be, when you're in a wilderness, there are always, there's always going to be the option to give up. There's always going to be the option to give up. Now, Jesus is about 29 years old when he's in the wilderness, and he's about to start his ministry. He has about two and a half years to do everything that we read about in the Gospels, a very short window of time. Um, and and God, has led them to, to the, God has led him to this place where he's, a, he's about to just start. And so, um, you know, he has to, you know, heal the blind and make deaf ears hear and raise Lazarus from the dead and talk to Peter about how crazy Peter is because Peter's going to change the world one day when Jesus leaves and um, talks. Yeah, he has to teach Thomas about his doubt. We call him Doubting Thomas because when Jesus resurrected from the grave, Jesus actually came through a wall and said, hey, man, give me some fish and honey. And Thomas was like, oh, my God, are you, are you truly alive? He said, yeah, come and touch the holes in my hands. It's me. And he touched him, and he was flesh. So he has to teach Doubting Thomas for the next two years about the great things that God has in store for him. Because Thomas is doubting the whole time. Jesus is doing all these miracles, and Thomas is like, I still don't believe it, but I'm following you, and I don't know why. That tends to be how our walk goes. We follow Jesus. We follow God, but we still doubt, and we don't know why. But Jesus is okay with that. He's willing to go the marathon and the distance with us simply because he loves us, and he still has great plans for our lives. He has two and a half years, two and a half years, two and a half years. He's going to spend a month and a half of those two and a half years in the wilderness fasting when he could be getting work done. You ever set out to start something great? Like you, you wrote that vision down, you had that plan, and I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Let's do it. Whew. Oh, no. This is going to take longer than what I thought. I'm going to have that talk. (sighs) (sighs) Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just totally change your mind when when, when it hits the fan. You know, when it gets hot in the kitchen, you you just totally, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can endure this. Jesus is setting out to start a ministry. He just got baptized, filled with the Spirit. The Father just spoke to him and said, This is my son in who I am well pleased. That's the only word from God that Jesus receives before he goes into the wilderness. And he has to, through fasting, allow that word to stick here and here during these 40 days because he's all the devils right now. And so we're going to change the world. I'm in a wilderness. Then the fight starts. What you thought was worthwhile can all of a sudden become a wilderness. Lance Armstrong said this, and I probably shouldn't quote him, but he he did amazing things. I don't care what you say. 
Pain is temporary, but quitting lasts forever. I mean, this guy is the man when it comes to triathlons and all this stuff. And if anyone can speak to us, Lance can. Pain is temporary. In a sense, it's a figment of sorts. But quitting lasts forever. I'm not talking about anything that you're going for right now in life. I'm talking about you and your relationship with Jesus. It's always amazes me how when life gets tough, the first person that we tend to leave is Jesus. I can't go to church. Let's just talk. Let's make sense of this, people. Life just got tough. And the first thing that comes to your mind is I'm not going to go to the place where God is. The first person we leave is Jesus. What is the enemy doing in this verse? He's saying, if you are the son of God. A lot of times when we're tempted to give up on God, on our purpose, on what we know is right. And when we actually do quit in a certain season, it's because we don't know our identity in Christ. We don't know who we are in God. So we give in to the temptation. We, we give up. We're going to go and do this thing again. And we, we give up. Right. In a wilderness, you're always, I, I don't know why. They say the, the best teachers repeat things. I just think today is a seed planting day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really trying to, I'd love for you guys to finish this series with us. Come back to church Sunday. But I just think we're depositing a whole lot of seed that you're going to need in the future. The first thing you do is you give up on God. Watch this now. This is an attempt of the enemy to turn the wilderness wilderness into Christ's graveyard. This is an attempt of the enemy to turn the wilderness into your graveyard. And so I'm studying this this scripture and I'm like, well, right here, I can use the analogy and I can say in the wilderness during the tough times, during the stretch for great things, I can say the option to quit in, in the graveyard represents the tombstones of businesses and books and churches, and great families, and all this. No, no, no. I I could have said that. I know that's good. But no, 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 no. This is something a lot more powerful. See, when you're in a wilderness, the enemy wants to turn the wilderness into a graveyard for your hope. A graveyard for your peace. A graveyard for your liberty. He, He wants to... He wants to get to the heart of the issue. Because without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. There is no peace. There is no liberty. There is no purpose. There is no salvation. If Satan can succeed right now, 
you and I are not in this room. And what often happens in a wilderness is that when we don't understand the purpose of the wilderness, you won't be able to endure the process of it. Thus, quitting will always be an option for you. There's a purpose in your wilderness. Um, Navy SEALs, but God wants you to overcome every obstacle. This is our last point. He wants you to overcome every obstacle. Hell week for Navy SEALs. You guys know Navy SEALs. They're like modern-day G.I. Joes. They actually took out Osama bin Laden. Now, in their training, they go through something called hell week. This is crazy, okay? This is a a five-and-a-half-day stretch. They get a total of four hours of sleep, (laughs) 200 miles of running, physical training for more than 20 hours a day, Successful completion of Hell Week truly defines those candidates who have the commitment and dedication required of a SEAL. These guys go on top-notch missions, ISIS and all this stuff, like all this. Hell Week is the ultimate test of a person's will and the class's teamwork. If you've ever watched that movie with uh, Mark Wahlberg, dang, I forgot the name of it. Check me off to church. But they were, they were seals. And boy, they were incredible. It was sad because they died because they were surrounded. It was crazy. Lone ranger, lone survivor, lone survivor. You have to see this movie. These three guys are incredible. But they end up, you know. And so it says this, that hell week is the ultimate test of a person in, in the class's teamwork. Most importantly, candidates who have made a full commitment to their goal of becoming a SEAL and those who decide ahead of time that quitting is not an option, regardless of how challenging the training becomes, dramatically increases their chances of becoming a Navy SEAL. Quitting cannot. Listen at me. Quitting cannot, cannot, cannot be an option for you. I don't care how tough it gets, it cannot be an option. A lot of things rest on the hope, the resolve, the persistence, the endurance, and the strength that you have as it determines your future and the future of your children. Quitting today cannot be an option We know the result of this stretch for Jesus because it tells us in Luke 14 that Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power and reports about him spread quickly throughout the region. Filled with the power, filled filled with the power. I got about a minute. I'm doing good on time. Are you guys okay out there? Great. Great. Yeah, yeah, got about a minute. I couldn't think of anything better. This is your power. It's just kind of holy, but, you know, (laughs) power nonetheless. 
excuse me. This is power. This is, this is power. This is power. That's your power. That's your power. This, I, I, I did fruit simply because um, Jesus said, apart from me, you can bear no fruit. So these mandarins are delicious, mind you. <laughs> apart from me, you can bear no fruit. Um, so your purpose is to bear fruit. Fruit can be other changed lives. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, peace, love, joy, faith, self-control. It's nine of them. I forgot the other four. Um, this is fruit. This is what you should be producing. There's a purpose and a reason for you living, and the world needs what you're called to produce. This is the power. This is your purpose. The power, the purpose, okay? Um, you, can't, uh, you can't have heroic triumphs without hard times. It's part of your purpose, heroic triumphs. You're great. God builds you for greatness. Glad to know you. I love you all. You are wonderful. And then you got more fruit. These are pretty good, too. Trader Joe's. No, Sam's. I don't know. This fruit. Your power. Your power. Give me some of that. I need a lot of that. Sermon from pastor would work too. All right, keep going to church. Now, it's your power, your purpose, your destiny, your triumphs, your freedom, your liberty. The word of God reigns on top. Well, I'm playing now because you guys are zoned in. Pastor sermon and then the word of God. I am. I'm missing something. You get out of the way. Oh, man, I'm going to mess up this analogy. Because you guys are listening. I don't want to. Oh, I knew that was. I knew it was in there somewhere. Power. Purpose. Jesus. World changer. Most famous person to ever live. We proved that, I think, week one or week two. Week one. Wow. That if you Google most famous person to ever live, Jesus practically is that because he's a historical real person that lived. Jesus, me, wilderness, fast, future, children, finances, health. Other people's salvation. <sighs> Jesus, me, you. You better not snap. You know, in order to really be filled with power, I'm going to put this microphone down. In order to really be filled with power, you've got to some point. You better not. Oh my God, this is so hard. 
You got to stretch for it. The result was that Jesus was stretched. And when he was stretched, he was filled with power. And we know the result of him being filled with power. He fulfilled his purpose in every area of his life. So I want to encourage those of you who are fasting with us for this 21 days, and maybe you're currently in a season of stretch. It is God's intent for you to stretch. Because as you're stretching, he's filling you with power. And what you have to understand is that your purpose is in your power. But it starts with the stretch. Let's clap that up. Praise God. Amen.